You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Introducing the two-way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the two-way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two-way for yourself at newbalance.com. Hello, everyone, and welcome to a new episode of the Good Old Podcast. I'm Jackie Franchuli for Wahoo's 24-7. And it's not the greatest Monday if you are a Virginia football fan. The Cavaliers lost to Duke 38-17. to So the Blue Devils snapped that seven-game losing streak to the Cavaliers with that win. And Virginia really was dominated from start to finish. It was a game where we saw errors and mistakes through different phases of the game. So again, Virginia beat themselves, and Duke took every opportunity. Coach Elko for the Blue Devils has created a team that takes full advantage of their opportunities and is efficient on the offensive side of the ball. So not a great Monday for Virginia football fans. So let's dive right in on what went wrong for the Cavaliers. So again, here is the stats. If you're on YouTube, it will show up on the screen. So again, Virginia had another game where they started slow. And it wasn't just the offense that started slow this time, the defense also. And that's something that they've been relying on so much is the defensive side of the ball, keeping them in games. And don't get me wrong, on that first Duke offensive drive, the defense did its job. Anthony Johnson and Jalen Baker both had tremendous tackles to get Duke off the field. Anthony Johnson was quick to shed his block and made a stop. Jalen Baker came in with Ventral Salpris out. Baker did a good job getting to his guy tackling and forcing Duke to punt. Then the Virginia offense came on the field. They moved the ball well in that opening drive. It just they didn't end with a score. Um, They decided to have Brennan Armstrong pooch punt um, to get push Duke back and uh, give them the opportunity to have a longer field. Honestly, uh, if you've seen my closer look that we do every Sunday night, I honestly would have rather them go for that. Again, it's that idea that this offense really thrives on being more aggressive, and I understand with the weather conditions, the staff didn't want to go for it there. But what is 20 yards at the end of the day? Because you should have faith in that defense to do its job. I know now in retrospect they didn't do its job in that drive. But in that moment, you want to show the offense that was clicking, by the way. That was a good, nice moving the ball in that first drive that you are able to do it, get them to possibly get some points on the board and just get their confidence going. So, again, I understand where the coaches can come from and why we would like, would have liked that going there. But 
here's the the biggest storylines of the game. And I'm going to change the screen here for the stats so you can see the split box between uh, both teams here. All right. So the biggest thing when you look at for this game was there were just mistakes across the board. Duke was able to have the ball for 13 more minutes. They were able to control the tempo of the game. They were able to control pretty much every facet of the game. There were plenty of mistakes to go around, but special teams was far from special. A lot of the big mistakes came on that side where you saw Tony Elliott having to take two timeouts because the punt unit wasn't ready to go and lined up properly. That is inexcusable. And when it's getting ready for a punt, you want those timeouts to be used in other ways. And that's been something that's been consistent. They've been having to burn timeouts a lot for special teams since the season began. Then, obviously, they had the block punt. Then you had Demix Darlings turning over the ball after, unfortunately, he had a very nice return for about 38 yards, and he had very nice blocks for that return. And then he ended up fumbling the ball, and then Duke got the ball back, and you kept the offense, who was starting to get something going, at least trying to click. You kept them off the field. You got Duke back on there uh, with good field position. And then also... We talked about nice blocking when it came to that Starling return. There was also several missed tackles on some of those Duke long returns on special teams. So it's like the special teams has flashes, but then it all goes wrong. And when it goes wrong, it's just terrible. So special teams did not have a great night. So you're not playing complimentary football there. And generally... And when we're talking about the defense, we generally start with the offense because that's what most people want to talk about, most people want to hear about. But in this game, um, in this game against Duke, the big thing for me was for the first time really this season, even against Illinois, they gave opportunities for Virginia to get back in it. The defense didn't really give the opportunity for the Cavaliers to get back in it. And I, you know, I'll be transparent. I picked Virginia to beat Duke coming into this game because I thought that the defense was going to be the X factor. I thought Virginia was able to run the ball well against Duke's defense. Um, I like matched up well on paper, and we'll get to the Virginia offense side in a little bit after the break. But defensively, I was giving the defense more credit, their pass rush against this O-line because, again, that was the key battle going into this game. Virginia needed to put pressure on the Duke quarterback, Riley Leonard. They needed to get Leonard to be uncomfortable. And in order for them to win, this was the battle between the group that had racked up the most sacks against one of the best O-lines in the ACC who's been good at protecting their quarterback. And Virginia lost that battle. Virginia was only able to get one sack one during this game they didn't really have many quarterback court hurries either so when you look at that you saw and if you look back on film duke had plenty of time to let the play form i mean they had 248 rushing yards when i looked at this i thought that they were going to be you know they were going to go on the ground a little bit because, again, the weather conditions. They were able to do what they wanted on the ground. 
They took advantage of Nick Jackson not being there. They took advantage. If you watched what we said in that Syracuse game recap about the middle of the field, that when we saw that that might be a liability for the defense moving forward, and guess what Duke did? They attacked that area where we saw in Syracuse it could be a liability for this defense. They were able to get 5.2 yards per carry against a defense that was that was stopping guys like Sean Tucker for less than 100 yards rushing. So this was definitely a game that they lost those one-on-one battles. They were this O-line was able to push and was able to get was able to out physical a lot of those guys up front. They didn't win those battles. They didn't win those battles that they needed to. Um there were some good flashes here and there once we were able to see Nick Jackson come back in. He was able to get 10 tackles in just one half. But again, it just felt like there was missed tackles and the defense just couldn't stop Duke. Uh, Jonas Sanker continued to flash. He's he's the bright spot of the game for the defense. Although if you ask him, he says, you know, after the game, he said flat out that he needed to improve and go towards the football more. So that's an individual that is taking responsibility for the game. Although, honestly, he had a pretty solid outing. He had a team and career high of 11 tackles. So the story there is that Virginia lost that battle in the trenches. The other big story was the penalties. They beat themselves. In that second Duke offensive drive, Aaron Famui and Ben Smiley both had personal fouls. You had unnecessary roughness after the whistle for Famui, and you had Ben Smiley who was dinged for hands in the face, something he would be dinged again later in the game. That was 27 yards of penalties after they had just completed, in Aaron Famui's case, he had just gotten a long, I think it was a long first down. So you have the long first down plus the Famui penalty, then move it forward, and you had another Ben Smiley penalty. Look at that. Duke's in the red zone. So those penalties really hurt Virginia because Duke, again, was efficient in the red zone. That's what Duke's offense is right now. It's about efficiency. So Duke did what they needed to do, and they took advantage of those poor mistakes. You know, you got Jack Camper, who had roughing the passer, also in the first half, also a big penalty. Um, You know, at the end, Virginia had 87 yards of penalty. That is not great. That is a definition of beating yourselves. They had six penalties for 87 yards, while Duke had three penalties for 38 yards. And I know what you're going to say. Well, Duke also had this, a couple of penalties that were on the friend they had holding. But that's the thing. When you're playing well, and I always say this didn't regardless of the sports, when you're playing well, you have this, as a former holding midfielder, there's an edge that you play in, a fine line. And Duke was playing on that fine line. And when everything's going well for you, things are going well for you. It's, it's, it's something it's, you can play on the edge of getting a penalty or not. It's also kind of like when you look back, I believe it was against Illinois, when the DBs were all over the wide receivers. You know, you can complain about it or adjust to it. And, you know, Anthony Johnson adjusted to it because he was doing the exact same thing. So. It's just playing on the edge. And I, again, I hate falling back. Well, Duke did this. Like, I, that is not an excuse. So when you look at it, 
just Duke just won those battles. They, and we knew that that was going to be a key to this game. Um, and unfortunately, they lost the battle. And I, the only thing I will say is, again, this defense is still very talented. Um, they just didn't win this game. And honestly, when you live and die the way Virginia has been playing, there was bound to be one game where the defense just couldn't stay in it. They, they couldn't keep that bend, not break. There was going to bound to be a game. It happened to be it was Saturday night. So, again, Virginia shot themselves in the foot on this side, and it just happens to be that was the defensive side of the ball when it came down to it. So that is my quick recap of what happened on the defensive side of the ball. And we're going to move over to the Virginia offense a little bit after the break here. But I'm going to leave this. I'm going to leave before we head to the break. I'm going to leave Virginia head coach Tony Elliott kind of saying what he saw right after the game. He talked about how they're not playing complimentary football, that they did not, you know, they had so many mistakes. He brought up those penalties as one of the biggest keys to the game. But what he also said was that he was still working on getting players to buy in. And that was the message that he had for quarterback Brennan Armstrong as Armstrong was on the coming off the field after throwing that late fourth quarter pick. And that was a challenge to uh, to the team was that our best players got to play their best four quarters. And this is the game where we all got to come together. Um, you know, talked about the, uh, the analogy of the triple braided court, you know, kind of outlined it for him that one can be overpowered, two can defend themselves, but a triple braided court is not easily broken. Um, and tonight what you saw is, I felt like, you know, offense was starting to find a little bit of a rhythm. You know, Brennan, you know, looked like Brennan, uh, but we just didn't play complimentary football. You know, we we, we had the, the situation, and, and I got to do a better job. You know, credit to Duke, uh, but we got to coach better. I got to do a better job preparing them, and, uh, and the kids got to play better. Uh, but that opening, you know, situation or drive, you know, we, we flipped the field. We, kept, we, we punt the ball inside the thir- uh, to 13-yard line. Been challenging the defense all week. Hey, we, this is an area we got to get better. It's situational football, in particular, backed up. We've had several backed up drives that we let them out. It's raining, right? You're playing field position. You know, we let them out, and then we have three penalties, three huge, you know, penalties on that drive to, to give away points, you know, and, and so we gave it. Duke and, and of course they're going to capitalize on that momentum and I think if you look at Brennan man Brennan was a lot more comfortable in the pocket he was staying in the pocket he was stepping up in the pocket man he delivered some strikes you know we had a couple of drops uh, that we should have that we should have made uh, anxious to see what the what the biggest issue was uh, with the with the batted balls but I think it was the offensive line game a ton of time guys quit rushing and you're trying to find he looked a little bit there were times where the, he kind of looked like the old Brennan just had a bunch of time to find find guys open um, so, so man, he's, I'm proud of him. And that's why I told him at the end of the game, I said, man, I apologize to you, man. I got to do a better job of, of helping you, uh, by getting all these guys to buy in. Cause I thought he, he looked, you know, as comfortable, uh, as he's looked, uh, thus far, uh, in the, uh, in the system. And like I said, we'll be talking about the offense in just a few minutes here. So stay tuned. Hey, I'm Brett Podolsky co-founder of The Farmer's Dog. We make fresh food for dogs. We started the company when we saw what a huge difference it made in my own dog, Jada, when she stopped eating ultra-processed kibble and started eating fresh, whole food. The Farmer's Dog food isn't fancy. It's just real food delivered to your door in pre-portioned packs. It's better for them and easier for you. 
Get 50% off your first box at thefarmersdog.com slash podcast. That's thefarmersdog.com slash podcast. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. And welcome back to the Good Old Podcast. I'm Jack Franchuli for Wahoo's 24-7. And again, we're talking about Virginia's loss to Duke. It's the way I described this game was this was going to be a depressing, sloppy game because of the weather. Well, it was a sloppy, depressing game because of the performance as well. It wasn't the best. Things that could go wrong went wrong for Virginia. The offense, again, it was another game where they showed flashes. They showed potential, but potential does not win you games, unfortunately. But, again, it was a game that you saw things clicking, especially for Brennan Armstrong. Again, I'm going to bring up the stats if you're on YouTube. Uh, unfortunately, stat broadcast, things were just not going well uh, in the UVA Duke. Unfortunately, our normal stat broadcast, which uh, breaks down a couple of stuff that you see on the screen generally when I'm talking like big plays or uh, breakdowns of the halves, um, that was not available to us because it actually went down. So this is um, Duke actually uh, was nice enough to have their own stat sheet and they kept this uh, for us. So um, that's why you're not seeing the stat broadcast stuff on your screen. And that's why if you're a Wahoo's 24 7 subscriber, you didn't see that uh, stat sheet pop up on our uh, game thread. So as far as the offense, passing, they had 202 yards passing while rushing. They had 93 yards for in 25 carries. So they're averaging 3.7 yards per carry compared to Duke, who had over five yards per carry. Brennan Armstrong, he finished 19 of 37 for one touchdown, one interception in the air. And he had one touchdown on the ground as well. Um, for him, he rushed for 23 net yards once you uh, get those sacks in there. He also was had six pass breakups, which is a, a lot of batted down passes. So good news, though. They were better on third down. They went eight for 14. Now, I'm just going to start with this because I've seen this a lot on social media and on message boards. A lot of people asking for Brennan Armstrong to be benched, which is an interesting take. Um, Brennan Armstrong is not having a good season. He will tell you that himself. He will tell you that he's not having a season that he's proud of. But I find it ironic that people are asking for Brendan Armstrong to be benched after the Duke game. When I felt, and I've I've spoken to a few people now, um, including a a college coach of of another program, and that they... (laughs) that watching Brennan Armstrong, he actually probably looked at his best this season. Um, Brennan still has some issue with his mechanics. He's still having some bad throws. But he probably looked the most relaxed that I've seen this season. And on Pro Football Focus, he had his highest grading this season at 77.1 and his highest passing grade at 76.1. So there is improvement there. And uh, to be fair to him, too, that 
the O-line did a solid enough job in the game. We saw Ty Furnish come in at center. Justin Johnson started. Ty Furnish came in. We all saw Noah Josie on the line. And they did better. Overall, there were some definitely some spots where Brennan was still pressured, but he was given more time to throw. Now, there were some issues with some of the tackles. Um, you know, Jonathan Lynch did get beat a few times. Uh, Logan Taylor as well. But overall, the O-line was progr- has been progressing every game. You can't fault the O-line here. They were there, you know, there's still those isolated cases that they were getting beat in, in pass blocking. But overall, the O-line has made strides. And Brennan Armstrong, too, has made strides. Before the game and my game recap and my, my, sorry, my game preview last week and my prediction, one of the things that I thought that this team would be match w- a matchup well against Duke was I thought they were going to run the ball more. I, I thought this was a good game for them to run the ball. Uh, weather conditions aside, I thought, you know, just run the ball a little bit more to submit yourself and get yourself into rhythm. Maybe, you know, start and drive up that way. Um, and the other thing is... I thought they were going to do better on third down just because of the way the third down defense for, for Duke was not very good going into this game. And they did do better. Um, the only thing is they still didn't play a consistent. There were still some communication errors, still some drops from the wide receivers. And I think a lot of people, yes, B.A. might have had bad throws, but a couple of those throws were also just dropped. So, again... B.A. is not going to be benched, not especially after the game where he felt the most comfortable. Where you, When you watched him, you saw him being more the most comfortable in this offense. And I know we like even I and, you know, when Greg Medea and Preston Willett came into, onto the show for that buy or sell the offense. One of the things we said is, you know, I think a lot of us thought that this offense was going to be much better and much further along at this point. We didn't think the numbers, you know, I for sure said that I didn't think this was going to be an offense that was putting up those gaudy numbers that we saw last season but we never thought there was going to be this much struggles. And one of the things when you look is that it takes time to adjust to the scheme. And I think, I mean, Tony Elliott and Des Kitchings even said last week that they didn't think this transition would be this drastic coming in from, you know, what Bronco and Robert and I did last season, which was a much more wide open offense to more structured offense. That's taking time for this offense to click. They're no more freelancing as they like to put it for Brennan. So it, it is very timed oriented. Everything needs to go in, in its right time. And if Brennan's having low snaps, Brennan's getting high snaps, which he still is. The old line is doing better, but that is still a consistent problem. If one, two seconds and you're already off on timing from a high or low snap. So all these things are factored in when it comes to this offense. Now, I also, a, a lot of people were going to be talking about play calling, and I even hinted at it, and I wish they ran the ball more because I think that opportunity was there. But I also understand that at some point when you're playing from behind, when you're that much scores behind, you've got to get something going, and you don't want to waste the clock. So I get that as well. But just in the beginning, I wish they ran the ball more. But at the same time, I was okay with some of the play calling about taking shots at the perimeter, especially when Billy Kemp was there, which was great seeing him there. And it was such a shame to see him go out injured like that because I think I, I think he was going to play a bigger role in this game. And I thought he was going to be an excellent target for Virginia and for Brendan Armstrong in this game. I thought they were going to use him 
use them a lot as well as Keaton Thompson. But I really liked how they, in the beginning, that first drive, they were throwing shots at the perimeter. They were doing those short passes, gaining that confidence, getting some rhythm, because that's what the offense needs. They need to find a rhythm. And I like that. Um, I, I thought that that was something that was working early on. But I'm going to highlight the point about running the ball by just rehashing the touchdown drive where it ended with 11-yard touchdown to Paris Jones or Brennan Armstrong found Paris. I think that drive sums up why I think they need to push the run a little bit more. Have your run game set up the passing game. I think that 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 is what this particular drive shows that where um, Virginia was on first and 10 and then Brennan Armstrong on a jet sweep, Keaton Thompson on a jet sweep went for 10 yards. Then first and 10, Paris Jones rushes for six yards. Second and four was a pass that was incomplete. Third and four, Brennan Armstrong finds Sackett Wood for nine yards. First and 10, Brennan Armstrong to Keaton Thompson for seven yards. Second and three, it was incomplete. Third and three, Brennan Armstrong rushes for nine yards. First and 10, Brennan Armstrong two wicks for 24 yards. First and 10, B.A. to Lavelle Davis. Pass interference was called. Then you have Brandon Armstrong to Paris Jones for the 11-yard touchdown. When you look at this, you saw that this was a nice drive. This was a, a nice drive where they moved the ball on the ground. They had some, some medium passes, but they started to drive off not behind the chains. And they used a run game to do that. And I think that was the key there. It just it, It's like there's a switch in this offense, but just watching them that they kind of revert back or they panic a little bit. And that's the part where I think Tony Elliott and his staff really need to work on because a lot of it, and I guess it goes back to that buy-in and that if they're behind the chains or if they're in a situation where they need to force something, well, I mean, they're trying to force something in other words. And I, I think that's where the panic mode in, and that's where they don't trust the process or just don't trust the scheme or there there's this buy-in that isn't there. And Tony Elliott has addressed that. What does the staff need to do to get that buy-in? That's a good question. And that's something that I can't answer. I'm not in the locker room, but I think that's where you ask the staff is how can you get these guys to buy in? You know, like you heard Tony Elliott talk at, right before the break, he said he apologized to Brendan Armstrong saying that he's got to do a better job of getting these guys to buy in. Not only does the players need to execute, Tony Elliott saying that the staff needs to evaluate. And something he said even going into last week, they, you know, they were talking about, you know, maybe they need to evaluate how they are approaching the offense. And I think this is a, the big point here is what is this offense? What are you trying to do? What is Virginia offense? You know, when you look last year, we knew what it was. It was an air raid. It was a, we knew what Robert and I and Virginia were about to do. They were, they were going in the air. I mean, we always joked. It was like, it was, it was never going to be a rush. This year, you're still trying to find who they are on that side of the ball. And it's not helping click. It's not, it's just not there yet. Um, and the other thing that I'm curious about, too, is when I see UVA struggles in the red zone, one of the things is you're not going to have Jelani Woods walk out in the field. You're not going to have that 6'7 monster 
come out on the field, but it's not like they don't have a six, seven target there. You know, Lavelle Davis isn't getting a lot of targets. And I don't know if that's, again, you don't know if that's a situational thing. You don't know if that's a play calling thing or it's just, you know, uh, not going through Brendan B.A. is not going through his reads. But when you have Lavelle Davis, who's six, seven, and then I went through the Duke roster and they averaged between five, eleven and six foot on the se- in the secondary. If you're going to pass the ball, I would guess you would want to pass the ball to Lavelle Davis for a mismatch, especially when you're struggling so much on one and one. You want to get that height advantage. So I guess what I'm saying is there's flashes again on the offense, just like we saw in Syracuse. But it's about this is about the time where you wanted to start to click. This is where this is where your season, I, I don't want to say kind of depends on it, but this is where the season, this is where it, you kind of in the crossroads here. Siri just, Siri doesn't get it either, apparently. Um, so this is the crossroads for Virginia. What is this staff going to do? Right now, Virginia is playing undisciplined, and the Virginia offense lacks an identity. This is, this is crunch time for them. You're going to have Louisville at home, who's having their own issues, and then you're going to have a bye week. And then you're going to travel to Georgia Tech, which is playing under an interim head coach. This is a period that you need to get something going. If you don't get something going here, it's going to be a long second half of the season. This is where things need to start clicking for Virginia. Again, I I usually don't like being, I'm usually a glass half full person. And I think there is flashes there. I think the defense has proven that they are capable. They just, they just shot themselves in the foot this week. The offense, again, they're clicking. And anyone who's asking for B8 on the bench, you're asking for a guy who's finally getting comfortable in a new scheme to be benched for someone who has not been proven with the scheme or even at this level yet. So it, it, for a new head coach, it takes time. You know, I think a, a lot of people, and so did myself included, there was a lot of pieces already here. This was such a different type of coaching search where you're not dealing with a disarray program. You know, Bronco left, and he left in a way where it was unexpected, and it wasn't like players didn't like him um, in a lot of situations. So when players don't, when, when player, when for example, in other coaching situations I've covered, and players you know aren't winning or don't have a good situation as far as coaching, they're they're open and they want to hear what the situation is with a new coach. But when there was such a good relationship with a previous staff, and a new staff comes in and wants to implement their culture or implement their stuff, sometimes it's harder to buy in than when you're switching coach during a program that was in disarray and then to a coach that says, I can fix this. Sometimes it's harder for that transition because you're asking these kids who bought in to another dream, to another program, to another coach's ideals to switch, especially in this situation when you have offensive players who are putting up some big video game numbers to now struggling. So it does take time. It does have an adjustment period. But right now you're asking, what can this staff do? You're asking the staff, what are you going to do to help these players move forward? And as a, as a players, what can you do to execute better? So 
that Duke game is a is a little bit of a wake up call for them, and it'll be interesting to see how they respond against a struggling Louisville team back at Scott Stadium where they have had a lot of the success in recent years. That was one thing the Bronco Mendenhall and his staff did was make Scott Stadium a tough place to play in. And then they have a bye week so they can all get healthy and hopefully tweak a few things as well. So that is basically it. That, you know, it's, we can go dissect every single thing, every single thing that went wrong against Duke. But honestly, it's the same theme that we've had this season. Virginia is close. But how can they leap through that last hurdle so that they can turn it to the next next stage and turn those missed opportunities to opportunities that they take advantage of? Something that Duke did against them on Saturday night. So, again, we'll be back here um, on Wednesday for Tony Elliott's kind of the press conference and what the big takeaways from there. Uh, obviously we'll be having updates on Billy Kemp's injury and we'll have some more questions as far as personnel that happened. You know, a, lo- a lot of uh, questions about that, including uh, Ty Furnish coming in for Justin's Johnson in that game. And then we'll also have our game preview on Thursday where we'll have our Louisville publisher on 24 seven sports. He will join us on the show to break down the Cardinals, and we'll also have an update on Malik Cunningham, a Louisville quarterback who left the game over the weekend. So we'll know his status once we talk to our Louisville writer, Michael McMahon. So he'll be on the show on Thursday. So thank you again for listening. So if you like what you're hearing and you want to continue to support the show, why don't you go ahead and head over and rate and review us on Apple and Spotify. It really helps us grow the show um, because it helps us our algorithm. And if you're watching us on YouTube, same thing. If you can go ahead and like this channel and also like this video. So it also helps us continue to grow this show. Again, I'm very help, really grateful for all of you who have embraced me on this beat. And also for those of you who continue to support the site and can support the show. So hope you guys have a great Monday and I'll be right back here on Wednesday.